When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Welcome to episode 79 of the Love Food Podcast. I'm Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. And I want to ask you a question. What do you do when you wake up in the middle of the night from a deep sleep and you're hungry? Do you have some water hoping it'll just make it shut up so you can go back to sleep? Or do you roll over hoping to just ignore it? Or do you go and get something to eat? I know for me, I sometimes try to ignore it because I'm like, oh, I just want to sleep. And if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you'll know that I do value my sleep because I was sleep deprived for so long when my children were infants. But ultimately what happens is that I eventually go downstairs and get something to eat. And so I would encourage you to do the same. Yet I also appreciate, as I say that, that if a person has a complicated relationship with food, that's going to be really hard to do. Not only because they're groggy and not wanting to get up, but because it may feel like they shouldn't eat at that time. I don't know about you, but I am just so annoyed with the diet rules that have to do with when we are supposed to eat. And I know that our body really doesn't know when the sun sets and when it rises. So why do we have to have these rules? And we have a fabulous letter from someone who's experiencing nighttime eating that I'm so excited to share with you today. And we get to explore all the different options, like what can you do to help with it? If it's something that you connect with often, you may want to not eat at night. Not necessarily because the eating part is horrible, because I don't think it is. But I do think, because I'm such a fan of sleep and good quality sleep, I do think that helping yourself to have a full night's sleep that's uninterrupted is a really important goal. So I can't wait to dive in and share with you some ideas I have for this letter writer and for anyone else who experiences nighttime eating. Before we get to this episode's letter, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by my PCOS summer series, and it's called 
empowering your PCOS journey. If you experience this really crappy hormonal condition and you have a complicated relationship with food, I want to help. I've met with hundreds of women over the years who experience PCOS, and I try really hard to understand the condition, yet I'm never really going to understand it because I don't have it. I was thrilled a few months ago to meet a dietitian in training. Her name is Kimberly, and she wants to do similar work as me, so she's been doing some volunteering with me. And as we got to talking, she let me know that she also has PCOS. And so what she's doing for us is blogging all summer long, and she's going to be sharing her own experiences with the condition along with diving deep into the research. I'm so excited to share with you the things that we've put together so far. And all you have to do to check out what that is, go to juliedillonrd.com slash PCOS series. All right, enough of that. I want to get to this week's letter, but I also want to know if you have written your letter yet. I need some more letters. Do you have a complicated relationship with food? I want to help and I want food to help as well. Let's have a conversation. All you need to do is write down about your complicated relationship with food and send that letter to lovefoodpodcast at gmail.com. All right, let's get to this episode's letter. Dear Food, I used to restrict you and overexercised her burn off every little morsel consumed. When I couldn't maintain this lifestyle anymore, my restriction turned to food obsession and overeating and emotional eating. I also started getting up out of deep sleep to eat. I wanted to do it at first, but now it's like I cannot control it at all. This has been happening about every night for years now. It makes me not trust myself because I cannot control what I'm doing. Is this night eating disorder? I also feel like I cannot sleep unless I eat something right before bed. On the nights when I don't get up and eat, which are rare, I'm obsessed about you the next day and structure my entire day around you. I just want things to be normal again. Sincerely, Nighttime Eater. Hey, Nighttime Eater. Thanks so much for your note. I really appreciate you spending the time to connect with us and let us know about this really complicated experience you're having with nighttime eating. When I consider all of the details you told us, that you had this experience where food was restricted and also you're moving your body much more than you were able to feed it. And then it turned into this obsession that food started to gather all this power and really what I believe is way more power than it deserves. And now it's looking different. And honestly, the big impression that I'm getting from reading this is that you've had a lifetime of food getting more power than it deserves. Something in particular about that your letter that I want to start with is when you mentioned that when you were restricting and overexercising, you called it a lifestyle. You know, you mentioned you couldn't maintain this lifestyle anymore and it turned to food obsession and overeating and emotional eating. That word lifestyle, I think is really interesting. And I think it's something that people use often 
to normalize any kind of eating disorder or disordered eating. And I don't know if that's your was your intent by using that word, but I know that's an eating disorder's intent. Eating disorders love to rationalize and minimize the struggles and the really tough life that it brings to any person who's suffering and anyone in their family. So I don't want to call it a lifestyle. I don't want to rationalize it. I think restricting or dieting and not giving your body enough calories for the exercise you're doing, otherwise called overexercise, I think they're wrong and I think they go against living. I think they're not the way that our bodies need to survive. And it's not something that's health promoting or healthful. So I want to just call it what it is. It's disordered eating at the minimum. And I don't know, maybe you were experiencing an eating disorder. And what happens for the majority of people when they're experiencing what we clinically would call low energy availability? So that's when someone's moving their body more than the calories they're giving it. And when they're restricting their body on top of that, um, what happens for most people um, over time, and when I say most, I mean like 99.5% of people, the body eventually tries to save itself. So for you, letter writer, what ended up happening, you know, your your brain started to hyper-focus on food and you felt like you couldn't stop eating. Um, I'm assuming that's what you mean by overeating. And you felt like emotionally charged with food, otherwise often called emotional eating. Those are all really normal, common reactions to not getting enough calories. And so for you, um, your reaction is exactly how our bodies are programmed to be. So yay, your body's being successful at being a human. I know that's not how you're looking at it at this point, but I really want you to consider that for a moment. Instead of your body failing you or that you're letting yourself go or this horrible kind of experience, it's really that you're just following the patterns of evolution that have been laid before you. You know, there are generations and generations of humans that helped us to be able to survive things like famines. And that's what your body's doing. A really interesting kind of research you can look into to really glean more about what I'm talking about is this really old research from the 40s. It's the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. And that's a research study that I'll put in the show notes. But basically, um, in a to keep it really brief, what we know from that research is that when a person is underfed, the body eventually responds in some really predictable ways. And one of those ways is an almost kind of OCD-like experience with food, otherwise known as food obsession, like you mentioned in your letter. So we know that restricting down food intake makes the brain hyper-focused around food. And you know, if you connect the dots, it's really kind of cool if a, the body is going through a famine or otherwise going through starvation or what it deems as starvation, then it's going to think about food to make sure that you find it. <laughs> and there's lots of people, if they're not getting enough, the body will wake them up in the middle of the night and let them know, hey, it's time to eat. Before we go further with discussing the nighttime eating, I also want to point out that for you, letter writer, and for many people who are experiencing the same thing, you are experiencing something we call food insecurity. 
Food insecurity is often connected to when people are living in poverty and they don't have enough financial means in order to buy enough food. And when people experience food insecurity, it's really common for a person to not eating a not to eat according to hunger and fullness, rather to eat when food is around because they don't know when it's going to be around again. Again, it's just part of the survival strategies that evolution has provided us humans. And what is really interesting about food insecurity is that the body doesn't know if a person is not getting enough food because of uh, a famine where they live or because of financial reasons or because they're on a self-imposed diet. So what we know about food insecurity is that it will lead to eating past fullness. Again, if a person doesn't have access to food because they're living paycheck to paycheck, when they finally get their paycheck and they're able to get food, they're going to eat until they feel really full because they don't know when they're going to get food again or they're going to have to wait a while. Another way to consider this train of thought is by using Ellen Satter's food hierarchy of needs. She uses Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which you may remember from Psych 101. And um, if you want to know more about it, I'm going to put links to it in the show notes. But in essence, what the food hierarchy of needs is demonstrating to us is that if we don't have access to food, we need to fix that before we can do things like eat to help control your cholesterol levels. So that's why when a person is living their life attached to the scale and feels like they can only eat when they have permission or when they're small enough or when they're good enough, it really is needs to be looked at more than, are you eating enough fruits and vegetables? You know, healing your relationship with food and having permission to eat unconditionally is the most important part of healthy eating. And if a person doesn't have a positive relationship with food, if a person doesn't feel unconditional permission to eat, or they don't have access to food either because of finances or because of dieting or because they think their body's too big, they're not going to be able to reach a healthier relationship with food until that is addressed first. So for you, letter writer, I wonder, you know, you had this um, period of time where your relationship with food was very disordered. And so I wonder how much of that is still going on. It sounds like there's still some chaos and it, there sounds like there's not unconditional permission to eat. So one of my first recommendations for you and anyone listening who does experience this nighttime eating is really sit with that concept of unconditional permission to eat. Do you feel like you have that? And if not, I would really encourage you to make an appointment with a dietitian who's skilled in intuitive eating. All right. So another point I want to make for you, letter writer, is that waking up in the middle of the night to eat is a really common experience for anyone who's not eating enough, especially if they've gone a few days with not eating enough. I think if a person eats too little one day, they probably won't be woken up in the middle of the night. They may, especially if they're younger and growing. But for someone who's maybe midlife and has one day where they just don't get enough, they may not feel that um, their body waking them up. But after a few days, it's probably going to start happening. It's going to start to affect their quality of sleep. And so anyone who's recovered from anorexia or any kind of restricting type of eating disorder, 
they've experienced this wake up in the middle of the night. And I know when I work with people who are in those stages of recovery and they wake up hungry, I tell them to eat. (laughs) You know, you can trust hunger. It's telling you that for a reason. And we can get all into the, the biochemistry of it if you want. You know, it really is your liver has tapped out of glucose that it can make on its own in the middle of the night. And, you know, when we're sleeping for seven or eight hours, maybe nine hours, when if we're typically not eating, our brain needs to have constant glucose going to it even when we're sleeping. And so it uses glucose from our muscles and it makes its own glucose in our liver through gluconeogenesis. And when our body has not had enough food, it can only do so much of that. So eventually it wakes you up to say, hey, um, blood glucose is going too low and we don't want to be brain dead when we wake up. So can you eat something? So that's why I'm like, if you're getting hungry in the middle of the night, you know, it's important to eat. It's really important to notice that. And I feel like people could do that forever and ever, and it would probably be okay. But the one thing that stinks about that is it is going to disrupt your sleep. So what I tell people when I'm meeting with them in person and they're experiencing this is if they're annoyed by it and if it's disrupting their sleep or maybe disrupting their partner because they're waking up is to make sure you're getting enough during the day. So letter writer, are you? Are you getting enough during the day? I'm really guessing that you're not because on the nights when you don't get up and eat, you find yourself more obsessed about food the next day and you're structuring your whole day around food. And honestly, that's the red flag for me for that food obsession due to not eating enough. So honestly, that would be the first step that I would encourage you to take after unconditional permission to eat, of course. But while you're doing that is really trying to sift through whether or not you're getting enough, like truly enough. And you may need to sit down with a skilled dietitian to also look at that as well. But you can also trust your body on this. It doesn't send hunger or wake a person up in the middle of the night unless they're not getting enough total fuel to get through the night safely. So trust that hunger. Since we know you've been experiencing this kind of flow with eating and sleep for the past few years, there is another part of it that I think it's important just to throw out there as well. You may have heard of something called circadian rhythms. Those are kind of predictable patterns that our body has noted throughout time. And I often hear circadian rhythms connected to our sleep patterns, but there's also circadian rhythms for our hormones. And hormones are a really big part of hunger and fullness and when it's time to eat. So what I believe has evolved over time for you, letter writer, is that your body and its circadian rhythms with sleep and eating have gotten used to a predictable amount of food in the middle of the night. And so that's a portion of energy that it relies on. And so then throughout the day, it's getting a predictable amount as well. And it's just gotten used to it. So it thinks that's just the next step to take every night in the middle of the night to wake you up because it's time to eat. And again, this is something that you could keep doing. It's not going to harm you in a way with the food. What could harm you is not having good quality sleep. We know that getting poor sleep makes our body just not as well. So I would encourage you to experiment with trying to find other ways. 
And you can change your circadian rhythms with food. What we need to do though, is we need to make sure that we're getting enough during the day to keep us from getting hungry in the middle of the night. So I would encourage you again to sit down with a very skilled dietitian and really see if there's a way you can eat enough during the day. So then you're not waking up in the middle of the night. And when you do wake up in the middle of the night hungry, I would encourage you to have permission to eat. And even something you could really do that's nice and kind for yourself in these moments is even to have something already prepared for you in case you do wake up in the middle of the night. When I talk to many people in my office who are experiencing night eating, they feel a really a very shameful of the experience. And they also don't want to have permission to do it. And so when they get up in the middle of the night, it's kind of a, a, a scavenge to, to find something. And so it's not what they'd want. And so what we've experimented a lot of times in sessions is what if you just made something for yourself to have on hand in the middle of the night and were kind with it? Maybe even wrote yourself a little note that said, hey there, um, here's something that I thought you may like in the middle of the night. And you know, be kind about it. I wonder what that would be like instead of connecting to the shame and wanting it to disappear. I have a feeling it would end up being a little bit of a different experience. It'd be more nourishing and it would be less stressful. All right. Letter writer, one more thing that I want to mention about this night eating experience for you. And that has to do with stress. When I work with people who complain about their nighttime eating, something that I notice is connected to it is lots and lots of anxiety and lots of stress. So I wonder for you, how is that part of your life? I know stress is a normal part of being a human being. And I find those who are eating at night or in the middle of the night, rather, they're experiencing more anxiety and more stress than people who are staying asleep. One thing we know about the brain is that when we're really stressed, it ends up using more serotonin up. And that could be a part of what's waking you up in the middle of the night. So paying attention to managing your stress throughout the day, and maybe even paying more attention, especially the few hours before you go to sleep, could be really interesting to experiment with. What I almost picture is um, an hour or two before bed, turning off all of the screens, you know, your TV, your tablets, and your smartphone, like turning all of those off because the, the background of the screens is this blue light that can also affect your circadian rhythms for sleep. But turning all those off an hour or two before bed and then getting in this kind of routine of steps before you go to sleep. And it may include then a nighttime snack, which it sounds like from what you said in your letter is vital in order to help you sleep through the night and to get enough during the day. And I would have that snack be something that is feeling really satisfying for you and it is nourishing, maybe a mix of different types of foods. Then after that nourishing snack, what about then experimenting with some stress-relieving tools like meditation, guided imagery, yoga, some deep breathing, something that will help your body calm and relax and get ready for the sleep process. So for you, letter writer, before we get to what food has to say, because I see food has written back. I would encourage you to experiment with those things, see how they go and keep us posted. I'm so curious to hear how they're going. And please know that it's not that you're out of control with food. 
I think your body is trying to save you. It's really being a successful human and all that restriction and overexercise and control that you put on food in your body is probably how this all started. So one of the best things you can do is tune in, stay in your body, and it's going to lead you where you need to go. Take care. Thank you to this episode's sponsor, my PCOS series. And you can reach that series and check out what I'm so excited to share with you at juliedillonrd.com slash PCOS series. Dear Nighttime Eater, we wish you weren't so hard on yourself. Our nighttime connections aren't your fault and you're not out of control. You know what is out of control? your expectations around controlling your food intake. We are here to energize you and keep you connected to life. The obsessing and binging occur because of the dieting and restricting. Your body is not failing you. Our society's expectations of your body are to blame. Experiment with eating more during the day, working with an expert and managing stress differently. These experiments can help you see how your body and mind have been on your side this whole time. Love food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.